Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 9 through 21, and I'll read verses 14 through 16 now for us as we prepare to hear from Claude Marshall as he helps us continue in our series titled Restored Community. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. My name is Claude Marshall. It's been a while since I've been up here on a Sunday morning, but when Travis asked a couple of weeks ago if I thought I was up to preaching today, I was excited to think that, yeah, I'm up for that. And then I looked at the passage that he wanted me to preach on, Romans 9, Romans 12, 9 to 21, that Teresa just read for us. And I realized, wait a minute. This is Paul's long list of things we're supposed to do and not supposed to do that none of us can do or not do without help. We can't do it in our own strength. So with that in mind, what I want to do this morning is to help us unpack this list of what Paul says is what, what we are to look like and to act like. Commands that we can't keep in our own strength, that we have to be connected in order to do that. So Romans 12 has been painting a picture of the church as a living, active, breathing, growing body of the Lord Jesus Christ. A picture of what it looks like to live in a restored community of faith, of people who have come to know Jesus and are being transformed by him. We're finding that transformation happens, as we were reminded by, from Travis last week, by the renewing of our minds and by using the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us in the church for one another. And so today we're going to see in this passage that we just looked at that Paul truly is describing two important truths about what it means for us to be Christians and what it means for us to live in a restored community. The first is, what is the church to look like? Second is, what is the church to act like? So let's start with the first one. What is the restored community that we think of as the church to look like? Well, right away, Paul describes the church in Romans 12 as being a group of people who are united. They are united as the term he uses, the body of Christ. What a beautiful image that is. You know, Paul is the only New Testament writer that describes the church with those words, the body of Christ. But in so doing, he shows that we are like members of a body, that we need one another, that we only will work together well if we're connected to one another, like a human body. We are knit together in fellowship, and it's imperative that we stay together and connected together if the church is going to be what Paul and what God wants the church to be. But if you begin to think, as some Christians do, well, I don't really need anybody else to worship God. I can do it on my own. I mean, I can even come to the chapel, drive myself to the building, come inside, sit by myself in a chair, not really have to talk to anybody, worship God, leave, go back to my car and go home. Or maybe if you're watching online, I don't have to interact with anybody. You might think I can just watch online, participate virtually in a worship service. And you can do those things. But it's not what Paul is talking about in terms of how we work together as the church. So when we think that we don't need anybody, well, of course we're wrong. 
Because even if you were to think that I can come to the chapel or watch it online and not need anybody, well, it's not true. I mean, you need somebody to take care of this room and this building and set it up. You need somebody to monitor the lights and the sound. You need musicians to play some worship music and a leader to lead that time. You need someone to stand here and preach the word. You need that. You can't do it by yourself. You can't just be a lone Christian. You need somebody to help you. And that's what we do for one another. And that's what Paul is so strong at showing and talking about. We really do need one another. And Travis put it well in a sentence he said last week in the sermon when he said, when we disconnect from community, we disconnect from Jesus. Another way to say that, I think, is this. We are not saved in order to live unconnected lives. We've been saved by Christ to live in connection with him and with one another. I think key to that is what Paul speaks of in Romans 12 in two different places, and that's in Romans 12.3 and Romans 12.10, when he says, we have to learn not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We have to learn to outdo one another in showing honor. Now, that doesn't happen by chance or automatically. It's not our default to look outward from ourselves. I like the way that the 16th century reformer John Calvin put it. Quote, there is no one who does not cherish within themselves some opinion of their own preeminence. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we all do that, right? Or maybe in a more contemporary way, the 80s British rock band Tears for Fears put it this way in probably one of their most famous songs. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's in our heart to do that. I want to be number one. I want to play God. I want to decide everything. And Paul's saying that's not the way the church looks. It doesn't look like a lot of people who gather together in one place for a season and try to compete with one another to see who's best, to show their preeminence, to rule the world. No, Paul has in mind something different than that. But sometimes it's hard to find, even in the church. That was demonstrated uh, for my wife, Lee, and, and myself many, many years ago, early in our marriage, when we attended a, a week-long Christian conference that had world-renowned speakers theologians and pastors who were speaking on subjects of great importance. And some of the names some of you would recognize because you've read their books or followed their teaching. But one morning, one morning session, as we started that day, there were two speakers that were so different than one another. It was so glaringly obvious as they came to the stage and began to present. The first one was the pastor of a large American church. And he paraded into the sanctuary, walked down the aisle. It seemed to be a bit pompous, maybe a little bit exaggerated self-importance. And as he preached, the, the message was wonderful, but the tone, the demeanor was almost arrogant. He was followed by another preacher, a theologian from Great Britain, who looked exactly the opposite. He came with great humility. He didn't claim to have great ability. He simply opened the word of God and taught us beautifully from the scripture. I can tell you this, both men presented wonderful sermons, but one was a lot easier to hear than the other. You know, even in the church, it can be hard for us to think of others as more important than themselves, ourselves, to show honor to other people. It can be different and hard for us because it's not what we are by default aiming to do. 
But we can do it when Jesus begins to transform us by the renewing of our mind as we interact with the Word of God. Paul's charge is that we should outdo one another in showing honor. That's only available to us if Jesus is living inside of us. We can only begin to think that way and act that way and look that way as the church if we are connected to Christ, the head of the church. Now, another illustration of that would come in a story I recently heard about a very large church in a very large city, very prominent church, significant influence along, around the city, but something happened. A great divide occurred within the church, half of the church body on one side, half on the other side. It was a difficult experience. Nobody knew what to do. It got worse and worse until one half, one group, one faction decided, we want the building and we want the rest of you to leave. The other faction said, well, we don't think you should have the building. We think we should have the building and you leave. Well, they ended up filing a lawsuit in a civil court. It went to a judge. He read the lawsuit and said, I don't have time for this. (laughs) This is ridiculous. What is the matter with you people? And he threw it out. And he said, if you want to settle this, surely you have someone in your denomination, some church court that can do this. I don't have time for this. Now, that's a judge I'd like to meet. (laughs) So they did go to the denomination. The denomination established an arbitration committee, and it was obvious that some group, one of the groups was going to get the the property of the church. The other group was going to be out of luck. In this time, in this season of this church's life, this great divide that was just splitting this wonderfully large, influential church, a reporter at the major newspaper in that city began to catch wind of what was going on. And he had a sensitivity to think, this is important. When Christians can't get along, something is happening. What caused this? And he began to research and interview. He interviewed dozens of people, both just members and leaders as well, and pastors and staff. And the best he could tell at the end of the day, in terms of what caused this great divide, was simply this. It went back to a church dinner where one significant church leader had less ham on his plate than the child sitting next to him. Now that sounds ridiculous. But in reality, that shows how ridiculous we can be when we're not connecting to the Lord and connecting to one another in love. The church as a restored community looks like a church that experiences what Paul speaks of in Romans 12, 9, where he encourages, that says that love needs to be genuine. Now, the word he uses there is agape, that God-given love, that God-directed love, that God-originated love, that love that is unconditional and enduring. And this is the first time in Paul's letters that he will use agape in a horizontal way with one another, as opposed to love that comes from God or that we shine back to him. Paul is saying agape love that is from God has got to be the kind of love that we share with one another. That kind of love needs to be generous and genuine. It has to be the way we live with one another. Authentic, without restriction, generous, genuine love. The unity that we can experience as the church doesn't come automatically is what Paul is saying. But he says this is what the church should look like. This is what we need to be like. This this is what the world should see. As they look at the church, they should see love being genuine. 
They should see people connected together, knit together in fellowship. They should see something that's so different from what they see anywhere else. In fact, a church that looks like what Paul describes in Romans 12 cannot be found anywhere. That look cannot be found anywhere else in the world. No other society or civic group or culture is going to demonstrate what Paul speaks of because the church is connected to Jesus Christ. It's amazing that Jesus takes what is divided, people from all walks of life, and brings them together into one body and then begins to change them and restore them so they can love one another. It's an amazing thing. That's what Paul says the church should look like. But if that's what the church looks like, what is the church supposed to live like? How do we live this out? This is what Paul is saying in, in these verses, particularly 9 to 21 that were read. Uh, if in the English Standard Version, there's a little heading for that passage saying, Marks of the True Christian. Now that gets dangerous, because <laughs> I read those and think, am I a true Christian? I don't do all that well in every one of these all the time. But Paul is setting the mark out there. This is what we aim to live like. This is what's presented for us. What's the lifestyle of the body of Christ? Well, you might have guessed it's different than the world because Christians are a unique kind of people. Our citizenship is not on earth, it's in heaven. And we are committed to God's word and to what it says. So much so that we will design and live our lives according to what this living, active book tells us to do. That's the reason we give Bibles to first graders, by the way. It's not just so they can have a Bible sitting on their shelf and sit there and look at it every now and then, think spiritual thoughts. <laughs> now, I love the fact that we give Bibles to first graders, as Travis has explained it in the presentation, so that they too can begin, even as first graders, to meet Jesus Christ in his word and begin to be transformed themselves by the renewing of their minds as the Holy Spirit uses the scripture in their lives from this day on. What a beautiful thing. May it happen more and more as we have prayed. But a restored community of people called the church begin to look like what Paul describes in these verses. Chapter 12 of Romans, verses 9 to 21. He says this, we've already noticed that love needs to be the significant aspect of our life together. But he goes on to say, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Literally there it is, be glued to what is good. <laughs> you can't pry it apart like super glue on your fingers. Be glued to what is good. Hate what is evil. That's the kind of talk that Paul is using he says, you need to uh, have a fervency about the Lord that is different than the fervency you have about your favorite sports team. Go ahead and be fervent about your favorite sports team, but be more fervent about serving the Lord, about loving him. We need to be people who are committing, committed to serving both Jesus and one another within the church. Now, that stands out in a world that's committed to serving self. The church should look so different than the world around us. We aren't to look like the Kiwanis Club or the Rotarians or the Moose Lodge. We're to look like a restored community. Now, the early church experienced that in, in real ways as they lived in the second century in a Roman and Greek world where they stood out as very different than the culture around them. 
In fact, the Greek and Roman worlds really couldn't understand Christians because they'd never seen people who weren't related by blood love one another like brothers and sisters. It didn't make any sense to them. How do you do that? Well, the second century Christian apologist Tertullian wrote about a pagan, we'll call him a pagan, an unbelieving Roman who had not met Christ. And what he recorded was a conversation he heard this man saying. He was talking about a Christian he had met, this heathen, pagan Roman. And he said this about this Christian. He's a good man. Even though he's a a Christian. (laughs) It just didn't make sense to this Roman. How can you be a good man and be a Christian? It just didn't make sense. Christians didn't fit the culture. They worshiped one God. They served the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't serve the the whole groupings of many Greek and Roman gods. And they didn't live up to the moral quality of Roman citizenship, the virtuous Roman who had a love for the emperor, committed everything to being a Roman citizen. It was the most important thing in their life. And yet the Christian in Rome said there's something more important. It's worshiping God through Jesus Christ. In fact, what Paul is saying that We should live the way that second century Christian in Rome lives. That we ought to have people saying about us, you know, even though they're Christians, they're pretty good people. (laughs) Uh, He's saying, I want people to look at you and say, even though you're a Christian, even though you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though you believe the gospel, and they might say, who knows how you can believe that? (laughs) Even so, they are good people. And that church that meets down the way on John Tyler Highway, they live in a way that is good, that's honorable. They care for one another. They demonstrate love not only inside but outside. That's what Paul is calling us for to do. Of course, he doesn't stop there. You heard the list. He keeps going. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I do like that statement because it's conditional, if possible. Sometimes that's pretty hard, almost impossible to live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, you're only talking about your part, not their part or someone else's part. But the key is that we live peaceably with all. And then another thing we can not help but see in Romans Uh, 12, particularly verses 14 to 21, is how Paul uses repetition to make a point about how it is that as Christians and as the church, we respond to opposition. How do we respond to those who are against us? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Those are hard statements. And you know what I mean if you drive up and down the highway. There's something about turning onto Route 5 from 199 when it goes from two lanes into one. I find it really hard to practice this thing. When I'm in the right lane, I mean the left lane of the two, and the the lane that's going to end, and there's someone racing up the side trying to cut me off, it is not my default to say, oh, I will bless them. I will repay them no evil for the evil they are trying to do to me. 
I will never avenge myself with my hand on the horn and looking for that button that has missile written on it. (laughs) My 2010 Toyota Yaris doesn't have that feature. It's a good thing. (laughs) You know, you get the feeling when Paul writes these things that he knows what we're like. He was like that too. He knows how hard it is. When we get pushed, we want to push back. When there's opposition to us, we want to oppose. When someone does evil to us, what do we want to do? We want to do evil back. It's just in us. That's our fallen nature. We're being redeemed, restored, renewed, transformed, but it's taken a while. (laughs) We're still on the way. Jesus hasn't given up. This could possibly get easier, (laughs) but only if we're connected to him. So Paul says, Knowing that about us, this is what we should do. When we are persecuted, we should bless those who persecute us. We should give thought to do what is honorable even when evil is directed toward us. We should treat our enemy with extraordinary kindness. He summarizes this way. If he is hungry, give him something to eat. If she is thirsty, give her something to drink. Then he says this strange line. In doing so, you will be heaping burning coals on the head of your enemy. Now we're talking. (laughs) I love it. Maybe there's a chance yet. (laughs) That's not what he means. I think what he means here is that as we show kindness to those who do even evil to us, the heaping of burning coals isn't our part. (laughs) We don't get to get scoop them up and pour them on their heads. No, it's God's way of perhaps using our kind response to their evil to bring conviction in their lives. Because I know this, if we respond to evil with evil, that's not going to help them be convicted. That'll just make us look just like them. So Paul says, live this way. Now he says it three times basically because he knows this is hard. Repetition is needed. This teaching is going to be a tough one. But it's evidence of what he has said way back in the second verse of this chapter, that the only way we can do this is that we're not conformed to this world. If we are conformed to this world, if I am conformed to the world around me, I'm going to continue to beat my horn and look for the missile button on my car. But if we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, the Holy Spirit changing us from inside out, I can simply slow down and let that person get in front. What does it really cost me? Nothing, even though it feels like it. Because Jesus is giving me everything I need. But it takes a renewed mind and the power of Christ for us to follow any of the commands that Paul gives us as the marks of a true Christian or what the church should act like or live like. Or another way to put it is one theologian said it, no one can do these things naturally, but only supernaturally. And that's what we need. I was reminded of what this looks like in real life by reading about uh, the Reverend Charles Stanley, the former pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atlanta, who just passed away April 18th at the age of 90. He was still preaching and teaching in the in-touch ministry that he had founded, a man who had a long, long ministry, uh, not perfect and not without struggle. And as the article of his obituary described it, 
when he assumed the, the lead pastor role at Atlanta's First Baptist, it was not an easy transition. There were many against him. He had been the associate pastor, and there were folks who didn't think he was worthy to become the lead pastor. As one church deacon decried Stanley's, what he called, this naked grab for power, according to the Atlanta Constitution, several leaders said they were uneasy with the pastor's inordinate passion for power and his extravagant confidence in his understanding of the will of God which is kind of a nice way of saying, he thinks he knows everything. (laughs) He thinks he's the only one connected to God. Like he knows God's will and we don't. Well, those meetings that they had trying to determine who would be their lead pastor apparently were not pretty. They were happening in the church sanctuary. One meeting was particularly hard to be a part of. People got angry. At one point, one of the board members of the church said, to Charles Stanley something that included a curse word. And Pastor Charles Stanley said, brother, you need to watch your language. The church is full of Christians here. We don't need to have that kind of language. And the board member said, pastor, you need to watch yourself and reach back and slugged him right in the face. Well, Charles Stanley's son, Andy Stanley, who of course became a pastor, is one, sitting on the front row, He was 13 years old, and he wondered, what's my dad going to do now? (laughs) And he was amazed that when Charles Stanley got smacked right in the face by one of these church board members, he didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. He, He took the blow. Didn't even say anything. He just kept going. He kept describing what he thought God was telling him to do as the pastor of the church, And as Andy Stanley said it, he didn't flinch when he was hit. He didn't retaliate. But he also never turned tail and ran. Because Charles Stanley did know something about the will of God. He did know something about what the church is to live like. And he demonstrated it beautifully in that very contentious moment in his church. You can only do that if you are connected to Jesus. That's the only way that can happen, isn't it? Well, Paul wraps up this section in verse 19 with these words. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if we take notice, that's the bookends for this section. Because in verse 9, when he said abhor, he said this, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. It's as if Paul is saying, here's the two ends of how you should live, church. If you are staying away, abhorring, hating evil, But gluing yourself to what is good, you will live like the body of Christ you're designed to be. Again, the big question as I close this morning is simply this. How do you do it? How can you do this? How can we do this? Well, look behind me at the stained glass. Jesus has told us how to do this. John 15, 4, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He is the vine, we are the branches. We have to stay connected to him. And we can only be the connected and restored community, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, if we stay connected to Jesus and stay connected to the vine. So let me ask you, 
How are your connections? Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.